0: Welcome to the Overland Trail Guides podcast. My name is Ben. I'll be your host. This is episode 14, and we're going to be talking about overlanding in the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, If you're a long-time listener, first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button, leave comments, and of course, if you're looking for overland routes, Overland Trail Guides is your resource for overland routes in North America We have well over 10,000 miles of curated overland routes in Canada, Mexico, and the United States, but today we're going to be talking with Jeff Thiel, uh, who went went out to the uh, Olympic Peninsula recently in regards to a half-done route that I had posted. Uh, Still working on that. I need to get to it. He reached out to me and he said, hey, uh, I see you got that posted. Uh, Are you willing to share it? And I said, hey, yeah, why not? Check it out. So without further ado, we have Jeff. Thanks for joining.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: And so you are Washington native, live up in Washington. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, that's right. So uh, my wife and I live here in Seattle. Uh, so we've been, I, I am actually a Seattle native, Seattle area native. So I've been here my whole life. Uh, my wife is from uh, the Bay Area, and uh, but uh, she's been up here for about the last 10 years, so yeah, we love to just get out and, uh, and explore, you know, in the Northwest, I feel like if you live in the Northwest, you know, you got to get out and explore because it's just, it's so beautiful up here. There's so much to see. And, uh, so we, uh, we try and get out as much as we can and, and, um, really, you know, we just, uh, kind of stumbled into the, the, Overlanding um, hobby uh, about a year before COVID, so it actually turned out to be pretty much perfect. So, so we had a lot of fun with that, you know, last year and and this year, and uh, been having a
0: blast. And you're you're part of the uh, the Lexus Land Cruiser Club, just like myself, right?
1: That's right. Yep. So uh, I we we drive a 2000 Lexus uh, LX470 with a quarter million miles on it. And uh, you know, I think like most of the LX uh, owners out there, we just say oh, yeah, it's basically a Land Cruiser.
0: <laughs> it, it's made at the same factory. It's a Land yeah, Cruiser. right?
1: It's basically, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I love it. It's uh, it's been it's been uh, an amazing vehicle for me. I it's basically stock, uh, short of some 33-inch tires, uh, some aftermarket wheels, some rock sliders. Otherwise, it's it's all stock, and um, it's uh, never never let me down. It's taken me everywhere I want to go.
0: How's that uh, four-speed transmission treating you? Yeah, you know, we're not in a hurry. Let's just say (laughs) we're in a hurry to get anywhere. Hey, if you ever travel with anybody that's like in an old FJ or an 80 series, and once you hit the hills, you'll never be in a hurry with them. You're going to feel like a Porsche Turbo compared to them. Those things, uh, they're awesome off-road, but um, they're a little slow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, so... I was just trying to jog my memory and recall the exact circumstances, but I think, like I said in the intro, I think I had posted something on the website. It's been sitting there. I need to get to it. It's mostly done. Um, but was that, was that kind of the, uh, the background of how things went down? I'm trying to remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So, um, I, I came across, uh, your site, um, actually last year through a friend of mine uh, who um, actually ended up putting together a trip um, in 2020. We did the Siskiyou Safari route in Southern Oregon. Yep. And so we did, uh, we did about half of that route and we had a a blast and it was a, it was a great route. We absolutely loved it really well put together. And so when I was looking for, for trips uh, for my wife and I to do this year, we were looking on the site and, you know, it's like, man, this, it's a little bit hard to find stuff up in Washington. You know, there's a lot of great stuff in California, a lot of great stuff in Oregon. We had done the Washington backcountry discovery route. I've done it via motorcycle and and in the truck. And so I was just looking for something different. And I saw this coming soon, uh, the Olympic Traverse uh, on, on the site and um and i kind of would just kept i kind of kept looking at the site every every couple weeks i'd check to see i was like oh maybe it's done maybe it's done and then we were a few weeks away from trying to get a trip going and so i was just like you know i'm just going to reach out and see maybe maybe we can maybe we can get the route and and scout it out and so uh and and it was super cool of you to provide that gpx file for us and uh sure away we went
0: yeah with, with a with a little bit of a uh a little bit of a warning saying that I was still checking it out just just so you know and I think you did run into something there and so uh, I was I was actually looking at it again today and it's ironic I know um the trail recon guys went up to the Olympic Peninsula recently so Mm -hmm. it's probably some press that way yep uh and have you been out to, what has been your experience out in the Olympics before? Have you been there backpacking? Uh, I feel like most people in Washington have been there at one time or another, just like some, everybody in California, I feel like has been to Yosemite at least once in their life.
1: Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I had been out there a handful of times, although, you know, given how close it is to Seattle and, and growing up up here, it wasn't really an area that we went to all that much growing up. We, we really spent more time in the Cascades than we did on the peninsula, uh, but I had been to, you know, been to the coast a handful of times, been to a lot of the beaches out there, uh, been up to Hurricane Ridge a couple times, been to the rainforest, you know, a few times. But, you know, really, I had never done anything more than a, a day trip. Uh, never, I'd never camped out there. I'd never done multiple days out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just so much to see out there, and and there's so much to do that uh it was really great to be able to spend a couple of days and kind of explore and get off the beaten path a little bit you know through some of those uh roads through the national forest and uh it was nice to get away from the crowds and so um yeah i'd been there a little bit but uh really still hadn't explored much before this trip
0: cool yeah and just a little bit of background for people that are or are not familiar with the uh, olympic olympic national park and olympic national forest that surrounds it um at the core of the national park is primarily wilderness. And so that means uh, you can go out there if you're by foot or by horse, but if you're on a mountain bike or any sort of motorized vehicle, uh, you really can't traverse through the middle of the forest. I know there's some out and backs to a couple of different places. I think you went to one of them. I don't know if it was deer park. We'll talk about that. Uh, But so for the most part, you're kind of doing this big loop around the Olympic mountains and you're kind of going into the mountains, but you're never getting kind of into the heart of the Olympics just because of that wilderness and, and kind of because of that layout. It's a, it's a combination of, of dirt and pavement. I don't know the exact break breakdown. I would guess it's maybe, maybe 50, 50, or maybe 60, 40 dirt. I have to go back and look at it, but it is, it is a significant amount of pavement, right? You know,
1: it, it is a significant amount of pavement, but I think that y- you spend, you still spend probably 85% of your time off yeah. pavement, right? Because that's where, you know, it's slower going and then you, get, you hit the highway and it might be 30 or 40 miles, but those 30 or 40 miles, you know, you just blast right through it. So, uh, it, it still felt like it was primarily a, a dirt route, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you take into account the mileage, it probably is, it probably is 50, 50, 60, 40 dirt, maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's just the way it is sometimes. And, and a little bit of background on that. Um, I guess I was doing some research right now and it looks like the optimal season is essentially May to the end of September. And while you can go out there and explore a lot of these dirt roads in winter time on the Western side, you have all the rainforest. So, Mm -hmm. you know, probably rainfall upwards of 200 inches a year. So it's just going to be a mess there in winter time. And at the higher elevation, you have snow as well. And it looks like there's a number of gate closures, which is why I said May 1st through September. So there are a number of gates that get closed come October 1st. You can still do a lot of the route. There's just going to be certain places you're not going to be able to go on dirt. That's all. So why don't you take us towards the uh, towards the start of your route, uh, where you guys started? I think you started on on the eastern side, which is mo- where most people are going to start coming from the uh, greater Seattle area.
1: Yeah we we started at we started basically at the town of Quilcene, and uh, I apologize in advance if I butcher any of these names. The, the names are always uh, always a bit of a challenge, but yeah, Quilcene is where we started. We grabbed gas there and some firewood. And, and then we connected with the route from there and we headed north. And so we did the route counterclockwise. And uh, so, yeah, we, we hit the trail there. It's not far out of Scene that you, you get on dirt and then you just kind of immediately enter the, the national forest. And, and then from there, it's, it's, you know, just really a nice, smooth, wide, graded gravel road uh, that is pretty much a main road as far as, as, far as the route itself goes uh, that pretty much kind of takes you up the Northeast side of the Olympic, uh, national forest. And, uh, it's pretty, pretty easy going really pretty, pretty pleasant. Um, you know, really nothing too, nothing too challenging, but the nice thing with that section of, of trail is that there are just little spur roads everywhere and and they just kind of go off and dead end. And so, you know, some of them are just long since overgrown. Some of them are a little more used, and so you really could spend as much time as you wanted to exploring just in that first section. And and that's kind of what we did uh, to find our campsite for the first night. And um, so there's there's a lot to explore out there.
0: And so the eastern side versus the western side, it sounds like you know there's a lot more people on the western side, at least. Now you, you went out in like one of the hottest weekends of the year up in Seattle. Weren't you guys in like triple digits or something like that?
1: Yeah, we headed out and it was, I think it was supposed to be like 103 or 104 in Seattle. Oh my God. And so, you know, the timing in large part, it worked out well because we were able to escape that heat and it was, it's always a little bit cooler on the peninsula. So that was nice. But the downside was, I think everybody else had the same idea. And mm-hmm. so by the time we got, you know, on the eastern side, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. And again, because there are so many little spur roads that branch off, it was pretty easy to find find spots. And and it was you know, it felt still like you were kind of out there and you were kind of alone. But once you got to the west side, that's where all the rivers are, you know. And so everybody was hanging out by a river camping and and so it got a little bit challenging to to Mm -hmm. try and find you know some some camp spots dispersed camp spots out there we found one but turned out to be a little challenging but yeah it's definitely a little busier on the west side uh the east side and the south side were were pretty quiet though
0: oh cool and then that first night and i know you kind of talked about this going down a spur road and i i was studying google earth today trying to figure out where that heck that was and it looks like it could have been like one of a dozen different places but do you want to talk about that campsite that you had a night one
1: yeah so going out before we went out i really i just did a little bit of research i was i was kind of one thing i always try and do is just uh take a look at the topography on the map try and look to see where maybe there's a road that kind of follows a ridge line or something along those lines and then and then i'll kind of sometimes I'll go deep down the rabbit hole. So I'll look at that and then I'll look at the satellite imagery over the top of that and see if it looks like the road is, is, is a road, mm-hmm. uh, if it's accessible and if there's a clearing and maybe that, that indicates that there's a spot to camp. So I had marked maybe a half a dozen of those to your point. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of them out there. I'd marked maybe a half a dozen spots to check out. And it turned out really, it was just the first one that we, we went up. Um, and it just followed along a ridgeline and uh, there were, maybe three or four different spots that we could have camped. Uh, we ended up just kind of driving to the end and, and finding a little spot. But I mean, it was, it was gorgeous. It's, you know, my wife and I still talk about that campsite. We've got it marked and, and I'm sure we'll be back there, but uh, you know, just the views that you got, you could see the Strait of Juan de Fuca. You could see, you could see, you know, some capped mountains. You, you know, we just had views for days and wildflowers and uh, just an amazing, amazing spot that we found. So I was pretty proud of myself on that one.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a nice little uh, tip for people that are just kind of getting into the overlanding game and, and exploring. It's like, you know, if you're using one of our routes or you're going out with friends or whatever, like break out Google Earth and see what's out there. You know, especially once you get like the 3D tilt going on, and you can get an idea what the topography looks like. Um, you're gonna hit a lot of dead ends and and things aren't gonna pan out a lot of times, but you do occasionally score and and. You'll hit gold and it sounds like you did i saw the drone shots and the youtube video and everything like that and it looked like a fantastic site.
1: yeah that one was that one was great i got it so can i tell you a little bit of a, a little story that goes along with that though so sure. you mentioned you mentioned you don't always strike gold there's a lot of backing up and that happened to us uh on more than one occasion although what i learned was going back to the the lexus got an aftermarket head unit in there with a backup camera. And what I learned was on this trip that when you have when you when you put it in reverse, the backup camera turns on and the antenna, which is wired into the head unit, the antenna goes up, power antenna. One of those obnoxious, you know, 90s power antennas that's rigid, mm-hmm. right? And so we get into a spot where the road just completely completely narrows to the point where we're not going to get through, you know, unless we're taking out the machete and we're hacking our way through. But there was still maybe a mile to go before we got to the end. So, so we stop and put it in reverse, and and there's just we're just surrounded by bushes and trees at this point. And at that point, I realized that that antenna is not going down. And so, I'm, I'm like, how are we going to back out of this? And Uh, thankfully my wife was super cool about it. She got out and it took us, I don't know, it took us probably 20 minutes to back out of this spot. And she's like on the side of this little shelf road on one end with, with trees on the other, trying to trying to move the trees off the antenna, trying not to snap it off. So yeah, just be prepared for, for a lot of backing up and make sure that your power antenna will retract in reverse. That's my advice.
0: Yeah. I, Gosh, I would be the type of person at some point I might just snap that antenna off on purpose. I'm over.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I did do is when we got home and I I had a little bit of work done for a bigger trip we had, I, I just, I asked the mechanic, I'm like, hey, can you just go ahead and just unhook that, just unplug the motor. I don't need that thing to ever go up again.
0: You know that that reminds me of another story. Uh, we had Mike Henderson on from Reno. I think his YouTube channel is All Train Family, and he goes out with a friend in a power wagon, and they hit some some pretty technical stuff in that rig. And they were gonna hit they were gonna hit some technical trail. And this guy in the power wagon seems to like have like everything in there. I swear he has like a soldering gun and and other stuff that he carries in there. He busts out a hacksaw. And he cuts off about a foot of his of his tailpipe, basically, so he doesn't destroy it before they go out. And that's that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. Maybe not to that extreme. But, um, you know, if, if you got to go through on the trail, I guess you got to do what you got to do. do what you got to do. Um, that's great. Right. Yeah. And so that backing up incident, was that on the way to your your camp on night one or was that? Uh, when did that occur on your trip?
1: No. So, so night one was all good. And I think, I think we got a little bit, we got a little bit confident. We got a little bit bold after night one. And so it was actually day two uh, kind of on the Northwest uh part of the route where we, we, we had tried a couple of them and that's where we, we ran into a couple, a couple Mm -hmm. of issues struck out a few times and, and backed out. So,
0: yeah. So night one, you are kind of on the, I'm looking at it right now, kind of on the, The Northwestern quadrant of the loop, I guess, is what we'll play, right? Did you guys make it? You did make it up to one of the viewpoints, I think, right? I'm trying to remember which one it was. It's an out and back trail.
1: Yeah, we did. It was Deer Park Road. And so we, after you kind of complete that Northwest quadrant, you connect back up to 101 for a, a short little jaunt. And then you uh, you can turn off and and head up a it's a it's an unpaved road it's a dirt road but it's you know as far as dirt roads go it's smooth and nice you know you'll see you'll see CUVs and Priuses at the top when you get up there so it's nothing it's nothing too crazy but it is um, something that I would say if you are in the area or if you are doing the route it's one hundred percent worth making the trip up there because the views are were unreal. I mean, you've got, you've got <clears throat> the Strait of Juan de Fuca straight to the north. So you can see to Vancouver Island. So you can see Victoria, you can see Port Angeles. You got snowcap mountains all around you. And, uh, and you're at, I think it's, it gets you up to about 6,000 feet. So considering you start at sea level and you end up at, you know, around 6,000 feet, it's a pretty good climb up there mm-hmm. and just great views all the way up. So, that was, uh, that was one of the highlights of the trip for us. And it's funny because we had, we had just talked to a handful of people leading up to this trip who somehow deer park road kept coming up. And, and so when we saw where it was and we saw that it was, you know, kind of along the route, actually, I think on the route, uh, it's marked as, as kind of a, an out and back. So, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a really, really fun drive.
0: Yeah. I think, um, For a lot of us have probably seen this photo where you have a motorcycle or a vehicle, a truck four by four coming up the road and you got like the Olympic back, the mountains in the background. I think it's almost always Deer Park. I've seen it multiple times. Uh, I saw it in your video coming up and I was like, yep, I I recognize that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's kind of two, there's kind of two roads up there that at least as far as I've found one of them is Deer Park road. And then the other one is, is going up to hurricane Ridge. Yep. Hurricane Ridge is, is paved all the way up. Although there is a there is a, a road once you get to the top of Hurricane Ridge that goes for another seven or eight miles. And uh, I, I can't recall the name of it off the top of my head, but we uh, did.
0: Obstruction Point.
1: Obstruction Point. Yep. Yeah. Obstruction Point. And that's another one that I know that that one's not quite along the route, but that's another one that is um, absolutely worth it. I mean, it's hard to pick which one's the better view. I think Deer Park Road is is cool because what you get with deer park road is you get not only the mountains but you also get the the straight um so you can see all the way down there whereas uh obstruction point you get you're a little closer the mountains are a little more in your face but you don't Mm -hmm. get the 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 water views
0: totally yeah i think i think we are adding that one is kind of a an an alt route if people want to do the out and back there they certainly can it's a little bit further out there but like you said it is uh kind of more into the mountains as well and you guys i think you deviated from the route a little bit and that's totally normal you took the 101 was it around crescent lake i think
1: yep yeah exactly Yep. we hit 101 uh we we passed crescent lake so one thing that we did on this trip because really it was just a time limitation you know we we had planned for four days, three nights, it ended up being one day shorter, but, uh, but we, so we kind of had to pick and choose what we wanted to see. And that was one of the things that I maybe didn't realize when we set out on this trip is just how, just how, how much there is to see and how long it takes to, to do that loop. So, you know, I think that you could, somebody could easily spend a week doing this loop if they wanted to and, and, you know, stop and see. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if if you like, you know, if you like outdoor activities, whether it's kayaking, mountain biking, hiking, you know, sightseeing, there are so many roads and so many trails in the Olympic National Forest, like, you might be able to stay out there a month. I I feel like when I go down to Death Valley, and Death Valley is way bigger than the Olympic National Park, it's like 2 million plus acres, um, people don't realize like how vast it is, Mm -hmm. and how long it takes to get from one place to the other and there's there's just so many things to see and i feel like when you look at the when you look at certain map layers in gaia of the olympic national park it's just like hiking trail hiking trail hiking trail river 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 rainforest and i'm like i want to go there i want to go there i want to go there but time is always the issue right
1: Yep. Time is always the issue. And especially when you're, you know, you're, you're kind of traveling along those forest roads and you're, you know, you're doing 20 miles an hour or whatever you're doing. Yeah. But uh, so, so we really kind of had to pick and choose what we did and what we didn't do. And so part of my strategy with that was generally speaking, we kind of, um, we kind of skipped a lot of the Washington DNR land because at least in my experience, a lot of that has, you know, it's either been logged or it's, you know, been, been, you know, it's not quite as pristine as the, as the national parks. And then the other thing too, is at least with, with a lot of my research leading up to this trip, it seems like if you're in DNR land, you really can only camp in established campgrounds that they have set up. So I don't, you know, I don't know that there's dispersed camping options, at least not like there is in the, in the national forest. So we kind of, we kind of bypassed that. So we so with that, we the, the route kind of goes up uh, north, kind of cuts off of 101 just before Crescent Lake. So we just stuck on Crescent Lake and we stuck on 101. Now the other reason we did that too is in my research leading up to this trip, because you gave me that you gave me that disclosure that you know, hey, this is this is a, a beta sort of uh, route. Is one of the roads there just before you connect back with 101 on the north side of 101. One of those roads mm-hmm. was closed from, from what I yep. saw. And so it it wouldn't have been a major detour, but it would have been a little bit of a detour. So we just decided to just take 101 and then we caught back we caught the route back. Uh, just turning turning south off 101.
0: Yeah, that goes into the thing, you know, there's a road on the map and it looks like it's a great connector. And you know the reason it's in beta is because we haven't checked that stuff yet right um, right so you know it's good to to get somebody out there like jeff out on the trail and be like hey uh you know you need to be aware that this doesn't go through um so uh thank you for that and uh we've definitely rerouted it kind of back to, I think there was an original version and I was just trying to connect it back there because it looked like try to avoid as much pavement as possible. Right. um, You know, there's a reason oftentimes when I'm doing research and people are bypassing a certain area like that, it's because there's a gate or something.
1: Yeah. But you know, that's, that's just kind of part of the, that's part of the fun too. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously we like to try to create a route that is going to be drivable when we put it out there. Um, we, we try to do as much research as we can, whether it's boots on the ground and we're out there, somebody else is out there uh, just to verify, but things happen. You know, I, I've, I, I literally put together a route in the El Dorado National Forest and the Caldor fire started, the one that's, you know, burning oh. in, in the Tahoe Basin. It started the day that we wrapped up our route. So, you know, there's just like... You know, there's going to be trail closures and stuff like that. There's just things that are totally out of our control. It's 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 just the nature of the beast. Yes. Um, so going back to the, uh, I think you called it the DNF. Is that what it was? Is it the uh, Experimental Forest on the the western side of the loop?
1: Yeah, the Wa- Washington DNR. So the yeah Department of National Resources that land when got it. You know, so, so I guess it's just a little bit of an aside. I think one thing with this route that just people should probably be aware of is that it, you're really in three different types of land. You've got the national forests, which is mm-hmm. primarily where the route follows but there's a few places where you're popping into uh, the Olympic national park. And so obviously the national parks got different rules and, and, you know, camping and things like that. So, so there's, there's some times where you kind of pop in there and then, and then there's the DNR land as well. So it's definitely, definitely helpful to have, you know, Gaia with some map layers on there to to be able to kind of know where you're at and know, Hey, can I camp here? Where, where are we? So I think that's, that's probably a good tip for anybody who's planning on on doing this route.
0: Yeah, and we'll certainly post the guidelines there. Uh, typically, in most national parks, um, oftentimes dispersed camping is not allowed. Uh, that's not always the case. You know, there's there's national parks in Utah, but you often have to get permits to, to camp in the backcountry. But that's usually the case. In most cases, dispersed camping is allowed in national forests unless denoted as otherwise, which is a possibility. And it sounds like in the experimental forest on the western side that it probably is a no-go. And we'll we'll publish all that so it's clear. Um, and then, you know, I think we don't really get into this in the website, but if you do carry firearms, like, it's you're good to go in the national forest. Not in the national park, though. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to have it concealed in your vehicle in the national park, but uh, just something to be aware of for uh, people out there. Cause you do cross multiple, uh, multiple parks and boundaries. And you guys made it out to the beach too, right? We did. Uh, I think part of,
1: part of it being a hundred degrees out that, yeah. that weekend, <laughs> we, we decided to uh, kind of, we, we hadn't originally planned to go out to the beach really, but, after after seeing how close we were, and um, and then just how hot it was going to be that day, we decided to to go out. We'd been to you know a handful of the beaches out that way, but uh, the beach that was kind of along the way, or or actually I think marked on the route as as you know kind of a, a point of interest was Claylock Beach. So we we once we came out of that northwestern uh, section of the Olympic National Forest, we. Stop down there so that we we actually we ended up we ended up camping kind of in that northwest quadrant there the second night uh after looking for three or four hours for a a good campsite but we found one and and then and then in the morning we packed up we headed down 101 and then that's where we kind of deviated off the route a little bit again instead of heading back into the east we just stuck with 101 out west to follow it down to claylock beach and, and that was a lot of fun and it was, it was nice and cool too, which was a bonus. Mm-hmm. So we hung out there for an hour or so and, uh, and just walked, walked the beach a little bit. And, um, the beaches out there are, are really pretty spectacular, um, cold, but, uh, but fun to walk. It's a pretty sandy beach too. So it was a, it was a good time.
0: And then, so you guys, you camped over there, um, Obviously, this was a bit of an extreme event. You have triple digit heat going on in the Seattle area. A lot of people trying to escape the heat out to the coast. It sounds like it's still nine, in the 90s at the coast, from what I gather. Uh, on, on a typical weekend when you don't have a crazy heat wave going on like that, what's the situation out there? like? Do you think people would be able to uh, find a dispersed camping spot or do you really need to try to, to you know lock down a campsite in advance in the National Forest or the National Park, something like that?
1: I think in my experience during the summer, you know, so if we're talking late June through through the end September. of August, yeah, yeah, it's really going to be it's going to be pretty crowded out there in general. You know, I think one thing that that we notice is, you know, you, you see a ton of sprinter bands out there, you see a ton of rigs out there you see a lot of people who are coming up from you know from out of state to explore that that just that area and like you said you could spend a month out there easily and i think people do and the weather window that we have up here in the northwest is pretty short so so i think you're kind of you're kind of always going to be dealing with that in terms of trying to find camping but in my experience, I, I think that it would have been easier. I think we would have been able to find a spot you know, down by a river somewhere if it hadn't been for the heat wave. But mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a little bit more challenging. I think if, if it's a weekday, you're probably going to be in, in, in better shape too. But trying to hit a Saturday right in the middle of summer on a prime spot by the river is, is, is going to be tough. And then I think it's compounded by the fact that a lot of those roads when you get down by the river, they're just, they're smooth, wide graded gravel roads. And so, you know, every spot by the river, it seemed like there's, there's a a dude in a 40 foot long RV. That's probably been there for the better part of a week you (laughs) know, hanging out. So I think people people claim those spots and they just kind of maybe, you know, squat on them for a little bit. So we noticed a lot of that too.
0: Kind of can't blame them, right? You, you no. get a rad spot, and you wanna you wanna stake it out and get your claim. Um, I'd I would probably do the same thing. thing. Yep. Maybe not in a forty foot RV, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. Your, you just have the Land Cruiser on your the place. back, right? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, there you go. or pull, pull the little Jeep. Mm-hmm. Um. Cool. And then you know, I was trying to figure out where you guys did you did you jump back on to dirt roads after visiting the beach i'm trying to recall what you did in the video
1: yeah we so after claylock beach you kind of if you follow 101 we stuck with 101 up until you get to lake quinault okay and then once you get to lake quinault the the road the route kind of does a, a really nice loop that takes you around the west side of the lake or the north side of the lake, depending on what we're looking at. And then it, it follows along kind of the Quinault river. And then it, it basically does a big loop and it actually puts you in the national park for, for a a little bit of time. And then it drops you back into the national forest. But that section of trail was, that was another one where I, I really think that that was one of the highlights of the trip. And it's not, it's not remote in terms of people, it's, it's a pretty crowded route. You know, there's, it's, it's another case of, it's a really, it's a really smooth gravel road. And so, you, you know, a- anyone can, can get out there, which is great, but, uh, but you're not, you're not out there by yourself, but it's just the, the scenery and the variety out there going by the lake and then following along the river. And there's just a handful of waterfalls out there. And then you get into the, into the national park and you're kind of at that point, uh you know i don't know if you're technically in the ho rainforest but you're you're i guess we're a little south of that at this point but you're you know still kind of in that really lush green mossy forest
0: yeah so, there's a there's a i know the ho rainforest is probably the the most well known but there's a well you know they're all kind of part of a greater rainforest right but like right. they all have these individual names and i think i think this one might be the canal rainforest or something like that i have to look on the map i could be wrong but i know there was like five or six different ones when i was doing my research here yeah so you guys that, that would make didn't, sense so the- yeah you guys didn't make it up to the queets river then right you took the 101 down to lake quinault and you kind of bypassed that part because i think that's another one that goes into the rainforest with a nun- number of uh of big trees i think there's like the big douglas fir uh, there's the Queets. I'm probably saying it wrong too. The Queets uh, campground and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, we, we did. We bypassed that section, although that, that's definitely a section that looking at some other videos and some people who have done that, um, been out in that area, and there's there's some campgrounds out there. That's definitely one I think we'll be back to. It, it does look pretty spectacular. We did by, by- bypass that one again, just kind of in the in the name of time. And uh, and then reconnected with the route. Yeah. Lake Quinault and did that little loop.
0: So you did the, the Lake Quinault route. And did you, did you jump back on pavement from there or did you kind of follow the route as it kind of meanders through the mountains there?
1: Yeah, we did. We followed the route there, which was nice because that was, you know, probably the first time in the day where we had where it really kind of felt like we were, we were out there a little bit and the roads were a little bit rougher. Still, Mm -hmm. nothing that you know, um, uh, probably a Rav four couldn't do, but just you know, you're out there and and there's we you see maybe one or two cars the entire time that you're out there, and that's just that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that we enjoy, so we we like that section quite a bit, and we really were hoping to find some camping up there, and uh, there were some there were some spots that we came across. I think we were it was a little early in the day. If it had been a little later in the day, we probably would have stopped, but we were being a little a little picky. So we, we kept kind of, kind of pushed on a little bit.
0: And then, so you pushed on and, um, and I guess you kind of struck out later in the day, right? It just, it just uh, nothing, no dice or what was the situation?
1: Yeah. So we, we, the next thing that we did, we kind of came down and there's another sort of, there's another sort of loop around a lake that the route takes. It's the Wainucci Lake, Wainucci yep. Lake. And so we, we went up there and that's where we really, that's, that was probably the the first time that we got turned around that we got, we had to backtrack. And so the west side of that lake uh, was actually a lot of fun and the trail got a little bit tighter. And so I guess just as a general, a general note for anyone doing this route and really just anyone who's up in the Pacific Northwest driving on any of these roads, uh, you know, pinstriping is just kind of, kind of unavoidable. So um, the road tightened up a little bit, but, but I enjoy that. It was a lot of fun, but right as we got to, there's a section just North of the Lake where basically trout
0: Creek, right? Yeah. Let's see. Is it, it looks like yeah, I it's see funny. I was, uh, I was looking at that today and I know that's the section you told me about. And then I was looking at the Olympic national forest, uh, they have like a really great page for all of the, not all of the roads, but a lot of the ra- major roads and trails. And it said there was a washout there and that you couldn't connect the two. And I'd read it somewhere else as well. So unfortunately I think there's a gate up there, right?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. The The gate we ran into was uh, a Volkswagen Synchro that was, was just parked out there uh with the top popped in the middle of the road and I I was I was a little confused I was trying to figure out why is this guy parked in the middle of the road and and you know so I I jumped out I was like hey sorry to bother you Is, is this does this road go through and he's like oh no no it's 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 washed out right past right past us and it's been washed out for I don't know how long so yeah it's just before it connects and so you don't we couldn't do that loop and I think the thing that was a little bit of a bummer about it is right on the other side. So on the east side, uh, had we been able to connect, you could just you could hear people hanging out down by the river. Oh. There, was, there, was, there was camping going on. I think I even saw oh, some, some, some trucks down on the riverbed down there. So uh, the east side, I think, would be would be worth exploring. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the one area where we, we, we encountered, a, I guess what I didn't see the washout, but I guess the road was just was closed or gated off.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I have this, um, I'll see if we can do that. I, I know the, the the original route that we had plotted out, it, it dead ends, like you said, or it washes out. And I've read that on the National Forest site. I'm looking at this road 2294 that kind of loops around. And it does connect with 2294, which is the one that we had you on. And then I think, I think it's road 100 is the one that might be washed out. So I'm wondering if if you can still do this loop. I'm going to look into that. That that would be interesting because you would still you would still be able to go out on the on the east side, but you cannot you cannot connect over to the west side. You have to go all the way back down to the southern end of Wainuchi Lake and I think once you bypass that and if you go up the eastern side that you have Wainuchi Falls out there too. Yeah. A nice little waterfall. That's like I uh, I don't know, a couple miles up from where uh the river goes into the lake.
1: Yeah. I think it I think you could from 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 what I saw there, I think where that washout was may have been may have been far enough away from that connector that you could you could still get up there and and do that loop. And it looks pretty it looks like a pretty a pretty fun area there. And of course you have you have hump tulips up there, which is just always fun to to say and to see.
0: <laughs> Tell me about those. I'm not familiar with them.
1: Uh, it's just a, uh, it's just a, uh, a name of a. I don't know if it's, I don't know what the name is from, but uh, there's what am I looking at right here? Yeah, Middle Fork like Hump Tulips Campground. That's just fun to say.
0: Ah, gotcha. Okay, I didn't know if it was like a rhododendron or something like that. <laughs> I have right? no idea what it is. No. Okay. Yeah, where'd you stay at Hump Tulips? There you go. There you go. Awesome. Cool. And then, so, uh, you had that little out and back, uh, the synchro story. And then did you guys hit more dirt after that? Or what was, what did the rest of your adventure look like?
1: Yeah. So we, we connected back to, um, there's a, it's, I guess it's called uh, forest highway, forest highway 23. So just on the South end of Wainuchi Lake. And so that just cuts East. And so we, we just basically took that to reconnect to the trail. So we reconnected back with the route on uh yeah just off of uh, I guess it's Forest Road 2364 mm-hmm. so we reconnected there and um at that point we were kind of just cruising around and and looking for camp spots it was getting a little bit late in the day and uh and that's where we kind of just started striking out a little bit we weren't having a whole lot of luck finding anything that that looked good there were there were either spots that looked incredibly buggy um. or or there were a few spots that would have been cool, but you could just tell that, you know, people were using them to 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 shoot. And so there were just, you know, kind of mm. shell, shells everywhere. So we just didn't, we didn't really want to stop at any of those. So we just kept on kept on going. And then at some point I looked down at the at the the gas gauge and I saw that we were down to about a quarter of a tank. And so, you know, I was pretty confident that we were we had enough to get back to the to the next gas station, but you know, pretty confident didn't 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 have me uh, confident enough. So we bailed out. It was about 730 or eight o'clock. And so we just kind of did the, did the mental math on what time we would have been setting up camp if we found something. And, and we were at the same time, about two hours away from home and kind of at a good bailout spot. So, so we decided to, to call it there and, and we reconnected with the, uh, with the highway there and grabbed some gas and just kind of, just kind of boogied home.
0: Cool. And, you know, I'm looking at where you guys bailed you guys. If you just kind of look at the loop and it, you know, it's very craggy and it goes in and out and all this stuff. But if you just kind of look at it as a as a normalized oval or circle, you guys did like over 80 percent of it in in terms of covering the ground. And then, you know, you you probably did do the remainder burning up the highway and you did that in three days. Just about. Yeah. Three days. Wow. Yeah. So that's- it was, it was a
1: lot. I mean, it was, we, we had, we were able to stop and we were able to enjoy it, you know, a little bit, but again, I think that's where you just start looking at the map and you start looking at those rivers and creeks and waterfalls and, yep. and, and that was really just my takeaway from that. The trip in general is the, the variety, the, the different ecosystems and the different types of terrain and the, the, the different sites that you see, like I, you know, I don't know how many parks there are out there where you can, you can get up and you can look at glaciers and then you can be down at the ocean and then you can be in one of the largest temperate rainforests in the United States, just surrounded by moss and trees and green, you know, all in a day. And so it's yeah. just a, it's a lot to take in. And, and so, yeah, I think you, you could absolutely do the route in three days, uh, but it's going to be a route if, where you're, you're mostly driving. you
0: did it, yeah, if you did it the way you did it cuz I think I didn't because this is still not a fully finished route. It's still it's in beta 2.0. It's getting there. We'll get we will get it there in fall even though after the season might have passed by then. But I think this route is it, it is going to be over 600 miles, but if you do what Jeff did and you skip sections and you hit the pavement in certain areas, you 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 could like you said you could do it in 3 days.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think you know the great thing about the route also is especially for anybody who's maybe in in Washington or in Western Washington and is and is looking for some some way to get out and somewhere they want to go and explore. Uh, you know, my wife and I were talking about the next time we go out there. I think we'll just we'll start in Quilcene, but we'll just head south and we'll we'll do it in reverse, and we'll maybe just do a quarter of the route each time we're out there and and just really, you know, try and enjoy it and get out and hike and see the sights, versus just kind of blasting through it. So uh, we're excited about that. I mean, it feels like, yeah, it's one route, but it could be, it could be three or four trips if you wanted it to be.
0: For sure. And, you know, I was just kind of thinking about that too. I feel like when I go out on some of these adventures, for those of us that um, aren't fortunate enough to do this full time or retired, uh, you know, we have to figure out time between our our busy lives and our jobs and all that stuff when we can get out. But I feel like a lot of these are kind of like exploratory adventures. Like we go do them, and then we're like, that area was really rad. I really want to go back there and just kind of like dig into it further and and see what's out there and kind of get the full experience
1: i yeah i agree 100 that's that's usually the way that these go for us and and unfortunately with a lot of the routes that we do um you know we actually just did a a a full two-week trip we did moab we did white rim trail we did the rim rocker trail we did you know imaging pass we did all that stuff Mm -hmm. but you're just blasting through it and you're and you're thinking the same thing that you just said it's like oh man i could spend more time here the white rim trail alone i mean i i want to go back to a haven't stopped thinking about it since we got back but it's so far away it's hard to get yep. down to so a route like this is for for us is is terrific because uh yeah it was it was kind of a scouting trip and and now we kind of know the areas we like we you know we pinned the campsite from day one and so you know i'm sure we'll be back out there again and and just uh finding the areas we want to spend more time in so that, that's a fun part of, of these adventures is just like you said just getting the lay of the land, seeing, seeing where you want to go back to and and maybe spend more time.
0: For sure. How far is Moab from Seattle? That's, that's going to be a pretty far drive. Yeah.
1: What was it? I don't remember what it was in mileage. It was, it took, we took two days to get down there.
0: Okay. So we did it for us. Yeah.
1: We did it in two days and it was, you know, maybe two, nine nine or 10 hour days on the road, something like that. Yeah. Uh, So we got down there and then we, we spent, uh, I don't know the better part of uh, we spent two, two and a half days in, in Canyonlands and White Rim and, and, um, got caught in some, some monsoons and that was pretty, that was all pretty fun. So it was a great trip.
0: Yeah. I mean, Utah's is awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's very unique and it has amazing trails and scenery, but you, you got BC right across the border from you. And I get it. Like that border just opened up again, but like, I, I don't, I don't think a lot of America, I, I. I grew up mountain biking. So I was exposed to everything going on in the North shore Whistler and everything like that. And I have friends that go to like Whistler re religiously, but like there is so much up there. I don't think most Americans realize what is right across the border up there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. And even, even for myself, I, I, you know, I've spent some time up there, but, uh, as far as getting off the beaten path and getting off road, that that's, not something I've done much of, but you know, I've seen some trails that just look amazing up there and, and the landscape is beautiful. And actually in 2016, um, my, uh, my wife and I, for our, our honeymoon, we did a, we did a motorcycle trip up from Seattle to uh, Homer, Alaska. So we took oh, the wow. Alcan highway up and then we took the Cassier highway back down. And, um, I mean, that's, that's, I, it's a bucket list trip and it was, incredible the entire way. And to your point, the, that was your honeymoon. That was our honeymoon. I know my wife is pretty, yeah, she, she was was down for it. So, uh, so, but yeah,
0: that would have been my honeymoon and my divorce, but yeah. Uh,
1: but it's just, it's, it's spectacular up there. And once you get North of Vancouver, it's so, it's so untouched and it's so pristine. And I remember the first day when we got up, a little further north. And, uh, you know, we saw our first black bear and we're all like, we're all so excited to see a black bear. And then by one o'clock in the afternoon, it was like, yeah, it was another black bear. It was like it was number yeah. 27 for the day. And, uh, so it's just the wildlife and, and bison on the road. And, um, uh, wow. yes, yeah, so I can only imagine what it's like when you get off the paved roads up there.
0: Well, I think, um, if you're open to it, I would love to have you back on and talk about that experience. I mean, I think the, the, uh, the idea of doing it on your honeymoon with your significant other. I mean, just doing that trip by itself is pretty rad, but just to have such a, a significant moment in each of your lives and to take that in has got to be, it's got to be a lot.
1: It's a lot. It was, you know,
0: it's, it's uh, you
1: know, but I think that the, the, the mindset, both of of my wife and I, and and so many of our friends that we travel with, is what we've realized over time. You know, we've been doing motorcycle touring trips for the better part of maybe eight years now, and we try and do one or two a year. And then now, you know, overlanding has kind of uh, come into the picture, and so you know, we're we're getting into that as well. But just either either of those styles of travel, I think it's it's the the understanding and the realization that the best stories that you have the best stories you end up with the things that you talk about years later it's never the days where everything went smoothly you yeah. never remember the day where everything just went to plan and and you roll into camp and you set up and it's just whatever it's the day where you're you break down on the side of the road or the day where you got to back up try not to rip off your power antenna or the day where on this motorcycle trip we showed up to a lodge in the rain and they didn't have a reservation, we're all out there in the pouring rain cooking our, our dinner on our little camp stoves in the parking lot. Like those are the days that you remember, and so uh, I think that well, they're not always fun in the moment. Yeah. Uh, they those are the those are the moments where when you look back, I think you really you really realize how much of a, an adventure that was.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, I think I think we remember. We re- we certainly remember the highs, but you know those struggles stick out. I, I it, it reminds me of a of a backpacking trip that I did in my twenties with two of my college buddies up in uh, the Mount Whitney area in the High Sierra, and they decided it's there's probably like two hours left to sun, and our camp was at around just under eleven thousand square feet, and I forget what. The mountain is, but it's a 14,000 footer in the Sierra. And they're like, we're going to go climb it. And I was like, I was dealing with some altitude sickness and I wasn't feeling good. I was like, have fun. Right. Well, night rolls around. They don't show up. I'm in, I'm in the tent by myself. And it's kind of, you know, we're in a a little saddle between two mountains. So the wind is whipping through and it's kind of blowing. I got a headache going on. I feel like I have the flu because I have altitude sickness because I'm acclimating. They're not back at midnight, one o'clock rolls around, two o'clock rolls around, three o'clock rolls around. And at this point I'm thinking like, crap, am I going to have to get somebody in the morning to like get the medevac because somebody broke their leg and they can't get out of there. Cause you know, we're already 20, 20 miles into the back country at that point. And there's no roads out there. Mm-hmm. Finally around like four 30 in the morning, I hear some yelling. I see some lights up on the mountain. You know, they had totally misjudged the size of this mountain they didn't realize they were going up 3000 feet. Cause it's just rock. And you can't tell when you just look at these giant monoliths, like how big it is. And they got stuck up there after dark, they lost the trail. They almost oh. went off a cliff, you know, but like, that's the thing that I remember from that trip. <laughs> you yeah, know? And You, they do too, you yeah. know, <laughs> so you totally remember those things, but, uh, Jeff, I just wanted to say, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, For those that are thinking about going out to the Olympic Peninsula, what would be – I think you've done a great job kind of like selling people on it already, but like what is the experience they can look forward to if they go out there?
1: Yeah, I mean it's really – I go back to just the the variety of the landscape and the ecosystems and the terrain uh, that you'll experience. It's it's just so varied, and you you get to experience so many different types of things. And whatever you're into, you know, if it's waterfalls, if it's rivers, if it's mountains, if it's the ocean, if it's beaches, if it's lakes. There's just
0: not the desert.
1: Just not the desert. No, <laughs> just not the desert. <laughs> But all of that is, is right there. And you can see all of it, you know, within a, within a couple hours, really, you know, in terms of your travels. So I think that's, that's my big takeaway from, from this trip and this route. And in terms of the terrain, I would just say that whatever you got, you know, you can get out there. None of these roads are, are difficult, at least the main marked roads along the route. So I think it's really accessible too. And I think that, so for anybody who's got, you know, whatever you've got really, um, just about anything can get out there. So, you know, you you don't have to let the fact that you don't have a, you know, a built up high clearance four by four stop you. So, uh, you can explore it all if you want, or just little, little bits of it, but all of it is really pretty great.
0: Yeah. And so. If you got a Sprinter van, you could probably do most, if not all of this route, just prepared for some pinstriping, maybe some low hanging branches in some places too.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think just in general, you know, you, you should be prepared for some pinstriping if you, you know, if you really don't want to get any scratches on your, on your vehicle, you know, take, take that into consideration. Um, uh, with a sprinter van, I think just in, in the Northwest in general, you know, generally it's, it's fine, but I do find that even for us in the, in the, uh, in the land cruiser with, you know, the, the recovery boards and the awning on top, there's times where, you know, the branches get pretty low. And so yep. you talk about that extra height and, and, you know, I think that's, that, that might ramp up the difficulty level a little bit, but, uh, you know, I think you, you'd be able to make it through.
0: And, you know, one thing I do want to preface those that are are interested about this route, even though the season is is quickly coming to an end up there, is that it rains a lot up in the Olympic Peninsula, especially on the western side. And while a lot of the the forest roads on this route are major forest roads that are wide, they're gravel, you could probably drive a, a two-wheel drive sedan down a lot of them, but There are a few that are secondary roads that get a little bit tighter, that don't see the same level of maintenance and grading. So you got to realize with these extreme weather events, 200 inches of rain a year, washouts, things like that do occur. Um, So just be prepared. You know, you can always the nice thing about this route is you never really get too far out there. You can always turn around and probably within about 10 or 15 miles, um, you can be either back on pavement or back on a main Forest Service road. So there's always that kind of fallback that you have.
1: Yep, Yeah, that's that's very true. You're you, you feel like you're out there, but you're you're never you're never too far away from, you know, from a, from a town or, or from a paved road. So if you do get yourself in trouble, you could you could probably hike out. But. Uh, yeah, in the winter, you know, I'm sure it would be a little bit different with, uh, with maybe some, some mud and some, some, uh, you know, rutted roads or washouts.
0: Uh, I'm the type of guy that's like, I want to go out there during winter time when it's like pouring and nobody's out there. Um. Well, you know, I hear that the
1: best time to experience the rainforest is, is actually when it's raining, which I thought was interesting. I was actually reading about that because they, you know, the moss is greenest at its greenest and the the forest is at its most lush. And so it's an interesting thought. Maybe we'll head out there in the winter and just, just hit the, you know, the West side and, and see what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Just get the awning out and prepared for a lot of rain. Right.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on. Just wanted to say thanks again for sharing your experience, giving some intel back about the route. Uh, I think I'm finally gonna have to get on this. I have, I have a number of things. I gotta, I gotta get the Capital Reef route together. I gotta get the Eldorado uh, backcountry discovery route together. I need to get this one together and and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I think those are my top three we are going to get this one done guys. I will say, I'm going to commit to it in the next six weeks. We'll have this route guide done. We'll have everything verified and we'll have it ready to go. Uh, so again, Jeff, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, remember you can check us out at www.overlandtrailguides.com. If you haven't hit that subscribe button, be sure to do so. And until next time, happy trails. Can I give a quick plug as well? Absolutely yeah so we we uh my wife and i've got a, a
1: a youtube channel going we call it it's kind of in its in its infancy but this whole route that we just did the uh the olympic traverse route we we put together a video with all of our highlights so uh our our youtube channel is called where to next and so where you can check it out on there and then we we just got back from that two-week trip in uh in moab going through a white rim trail a rim rocker trail and and some of the passes in colorado so I'm going through the process of editing all those. we got the first two episodes up there now. So uh, so check us out on YouTube at uh, Where To Next.
0: And you know what I'm going to do, Jeff? Uh, I don't know if you've seen these. I like the Rim Rocker one more, and it's probably hard to see, but we do have, I don't know if you are a sticker guy or DK. Oh, yeah. And this one, ah, this one. Oh, yeah. This one is okay. You know, The our designer put weird placement on the Jeep and everything. Uh, that was one of the first ones they did. We've kind of figured out a recipe, but I'd be happy to send both of those to you. Maybe we'll get one put together for the Olympic Peninsula too. Yeah, I'd love it. I'll take them. Cool. Rad, Jeff. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Check out that YouTube channel. I think what we're going to do with that video is we'll probably, um, we'll probably throw it up on the route so people can check it out there and check out your channel in the process too that'd be great. Love it. Awesome. All right, Jeff, take care. Yeah. Thanks, Ben.
1: It's been a pleasure.